We went to an old-fashioned service today for a couple of reasons. Uh, one of you, uh, one of the reasons is that uh, I wanted you to feel what it's like to use the hymnals again and just see what, uh, what that feels like. And secondly, and probably most importantly, I'm technology challenged. <laughs> I can't do screen stuff, folks. Uh, so you're going to have to use your minds today, and all the pictures will be up there, but you have to use your mind and uh, see them. I've kind of always been uh, an architectural uh, uh, fan of church buildings. Uh, you can see church buildings everywhere you go, and they all take on a different look. Uh, some of them are really, really um, uh, gigantic and uh, monstrous in size, and uh, the adornments are just really, really uh, something to see. Uh, I've been fortunate to see uh, uh, St. Peter's Basilica in, uh, in Rome. What, what a marvelous sight. Uh, when we were in Paris uh, seeing Notre Dame, outside was fantastic, but seeing the inside and what people do at that time is just amazing. That, that's all there is to it. Even closer to home, if you uh, ever in downtown Manhattan and get to see St. Pat's, uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral. Uh, again, marvelous on the outside, marvelous on the inside. All churches have their own flavor, though. Um, I'm from Mariana, which most of you know, which is a little podunk place. But it has a little church that I was fortunate to be in one time that is an old-world uh, Greek Orthodox church. The outside is very, very plain. I mean, you could go past it without even thinking twice about it. But you go inside, and the first thing you notice, there are no pews. Nothing. People go there and stand for an hour and a half to two hours every Sunday, standing for the whole service. To me, that was amazing. I mean, what would you do if I asked you to stand even for 10 minutes? You know, you know what's the man doing here? But it, it was just so different for me to see what people do. Some churches are small. Uh, how many of you, this is the only church you've ever really attended? <laughs> My grandkids. Okay, good. good. Three of you, good. Okay. And some of you back there, huh? Okay, Lexi, you get that hand up. You pay attention, girl. Okay. Uh, but anyway, uh, how many of you remember this church when you came in and instead of blue and cream, it was all orange? Do you remember? It was like almost like an orange shag. If you want to see something ugly, I'll show you around his wedding pictures. He wasn't ugly, but all the uh, all of the uh, drapings and everything was uh, 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 just a, that bright orange of the 60s and 50s, and you know what it looked like. It looked terrible, and all this was so dark. And that, oh, anyway, that's another story too. But um, churches have their own flavor. Some churches have loads of members, big members, uh, big, big numbers. Uh, recently, uh, uh, through bad situation, uh, losing my uh, good friend Tony Dudanis, which happened to be my uh, son-in-law's mother and my daughter's uh, mother-in-law, she was a good friend, but she belonged to a church right uh, north of Washington, or north of Pittsburgh, excuse me, 
that had uh, has between um, four and five thousand members. Now that's big for this area. They have four services a day, uh, two going on simultaneously in the morning, and then uh, a break, and then two more. Okay, the auditorium for the main uh, service holds about two thousand plus people, and the auditorium that we were in for the uh, funeral is uh, uh, about 1,000 plus people. Very, very different though, very different. The one we were in was called the Contemporary Room and all of this back here was sheets of brightly colored metals, bright blue, bright pink, bright white, silver, you know, just row after row, and then all above were like three rows of lights of different color, and then they have a band in the middle. And then when they get going, the lights come on and, and it reflects off of there. You'd, all you need is that disco ball in the middle and you'd, you'd have, a, have a whole uh, dance floor, it looked like to me. But it was so different. But the thing that was really striking was right down in the middle, they had this gigantic wooden cross. It was probably this wide and this deep. I mean, probably a good foot each way. It was probably 10 feet tall, six foot wide. And it was hung by approximately what I could see, 10 to 12 guide wires coming down, holding it there. They don't have pews there, they have chairs. And I, I was a pallbearer, and I was in the back, but Viv and, and all the, the kids and so forth were closer to the front. And Viv was sitting on the second chair in, and Nathan, my little grandchild, who is in uh, kindergarten, was sitting next to her. And he's just looking at that cross, and he is so just taken by it. And he's going, Grammy, Grammy. Why is that big cross there? And this is before, of course, the service. And so Grammy's there going, well, Nathan, that's, that cross represents where Jesus would hung and died for our sins. Remember we talked about that and learned about that in Sunday school? And he said, oh, okay. And just as she finished, out comes the minister in a long white robe. And Nathan's eyes got so big, Biff said, and he looked up and said, is that Jesus? <laughs> and of course, Biff had a little more explaining to do. But it was a true story about that big church. <clears throat> Let me tell you about a different size church. I first got introduced to the Church of Christ by dating my lovely wife. And for those of you who are visiting, you just have to ask me, and I can give you loads of good things about her. But she went to Lover. How many have ever been to Lover Church of Christ? Okay, small, right? Six pews on each side, each one about <coughs> two-thirds of the regular size. But that was a way to get to go out after and she was hot, so I wanted to go, you know. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I went to Lover Church. 
was amazed. With me, there were ten there. Four of them, plus myself, we made up half the congregation, and those four were Viv's family. There were Viv, her twin sisters, her mom, me. There was old Mr. and Mrs. McCord. Now, don't ask me why, but everybody called them old Mr. and Mrs. McCord. <laughs> and there was, there was uh, the Fernandezes, Frank Fernandez and his wife. And Frank had asthma so bad that he could hardly sing, but he loved to sing. And Helen Bruce was the 10th one. I can remember those people because they were all just so jubilant to be there. To me, it would be discouraging to have eight, nine, ten people at a service. But they didn't feel that way at all. You know, they, they, they definitely um, didn't feel that way at, at, at all. Um, Matthew 18.21 says, where two or three are gathered together, and they took it literally. They knew Jesus was there in their sight. They knew he was among them, and they used that to the best of their uh, ability to go out and do works for him. I read on the internet that there are three billion, three billion Church of Christ members throughout the world. You want to guess how many are in the United States? 1.3 billion. That means there are 1.7 billion outside of the United States. That's a lot of churches of Christ everywhere. We have some large churches in our, our uh, non-denominational sect also. But it's not the church that matters. It's the people. And when you get to know the people of the church, it just does something for you. It makes the connection. It makes it easier to be a Christian. I know when we went to uh, visit, uh, we, lo we love to go anytime. But you know, Viv and I travel a lot. And anytime we're away, we try to go to uh, a church of Christ. And, uh, and we just enjoy it. But one of the most fascinating things that I can remember is when we were in Kansas, we went to the Overland Park, uh, which some of you have probably heard of. But they had uh, probably three to 400 people in attendance. But this whole section right here, like the first 10 pews, was a deaf ministry. And they sang, Our God, He is Alive. I couldn't sing, and as much as I love to sing, I was mesmerized. Because they're all going, you see 50 people all going at the same time with their hand up for Our God is Alive. It just sent goosebumps down you. Even people who can't speak we're doing something in the name of Jesus. I look over this crowd today, and I'm glad to see this many people here, believe me. But I want to tell you something from my heart. 
If something happened that our congregation was this size every Sunday, half of what it, it should be, I think we would still go forward. I think we would still move the name of Jesus into the community. I still believe we would do as much as we can to help our neighbor. And probably, if anything, we would do like lover. When there's fewer people, we have to do more work. How many times in a big congregation do you think people just go unnoticed? I know when we were in uh, Florida visiting Bruce and Linda Lowe, who used to go here, a lot of you know them. Lovely, lovely couple, great kids. But they belong to one of the larger churches in Jacksonville, Florida. And when we went there, after services, the man sitting next to Bruce, he introduced himself. And he said, I'm Bruce Lowe, and blah, 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 you know how you do. And, and the man said who he was. And Bruce said, like we said, are you from the area? Are you passing through? Or, you know, he said, oh, I've been attending here for two years. <laughs> Bruce did exactly like you did. He kind of giggled a little bit, swallowed, and said, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know, I just have never had the opportunity of meeting you. I don't think, as an elder, I could be a, an elder in a large congregation. I'm telling you that from the bottom of my heart because I believe that to be an elder, you have to know your flock. In uh, the book of John, chapter 10, we find the parable of the Good Shepherd. It's how Jesus is relating uh, to people the way to eternal life. And verse 3 is what I try to pattern my life as an elder after. It says, He calls his own sheep by name and leads them. To call somebody by name, what do you have to do? You have to know them, don't you? I can't, uh, I can't possibly be an elder in my estimation without knowing you. I know your high points. I know your low points. I know when things bother you. I know when things are, there's an elation among you and you're, you're, you're very, very, uh, happy. I don't feel that I would deserve the position of being an elder without being able to know you. I'm wearing my uh, breast cancer tie today. I don't know if you can see from here, but there's the little pink stripes are made of the breast cancer, uh, pink ribbons. I'm doing that because uh, I'm dedicating this in my own mind to my departed friend, Tony, the memory of her. But when we were at the funeral home, Shirley and Marge came in. And Marge isn't here. I talked with Marge yesterday on the phone. You know Marge has been sick for about uh, four weeks now. She has Parkinson's, but on top of the Parkinson's, she has uh, developed this bad, bad 
cough, I guess is just what you say, huh, Shirley? I mean, I don't know what, any other way to say it, but she, it just keeps her awake. She, she's lost more energy. She's taking antibiotics and they, they, they put her down. But when Shirley and Marge were there at the funeral home, uh, just about a month ago now, Marge said to me, I feel so bad about Tony's death. Marge got to know Tony by just sending her a card. She sent a card every week to her for 12 plus years. And you know what she else she said? She said, I feel so bad because Tony was the last of the six people that I had been sending cards to for over 12 years, a card a week. I know from Tony being so close with us what it meant to Tony. When Tony and uh, Mike were able to come to our Valentine dinner, she said, I want to meet Marge. That's the only person she wanted to meet because she felt like she knew her, but yet had not met her in person. Have you ever had a pen pal that you've written to and you just love to see him in person? Well, that's what they had become. It become a one-way pen pal, even. A few years ago, I used this story, and I wanted to use it again because to me it means uh, so much uh, of what we're talking about. This is a true story also, and it, uh, it, it was written up in National Geographic magazine, but you know how they have the terrible fires out west and, and different places like that? Well, in, uh, uh, in Yellowstone, Several years back, they had a terrible forest fire. And it just wiped out acre after acre after acre of uh, growth. Killed animals and animals ran and, and all kinds of things. But after the fire was finally put out, a group of rangers went out to survey the land. And as they're going out among the land, they come across this bird sitting on the ground, straight as can be, just charred to death. And they looked at it, and it was so charred they couldn't make out even what it was. They weren't sure if it was a golden eagle. They weren't sure if it was an owl, if it was a big, um, uh, what's the other one, you know? Hit <laughs> it there, now you got it. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, they just weren't sure about what it was. But they looked at it and they watched. And they, they kind of were trying to make surmising uh, what was going on. Did it have a broken wing and not able to fly? Um, did it have some kind of a, a condition that it was, you know, sick, uh, sickly or something? Or, or had it smoke inhalation and, and caused it just to lose all sense of what was going on? But finally they decided to leave and one person just picked up a, chip, a stick off the ground just to knock it over. You know how you would do? And just knocked it over. 
things that knocked it over outran four baby chicks. To me, that bird represents Jesus. He gave his life for us. Did he have to do it? No. Did that bird have to do that? No. What would be the first idea? Fly away. But he loves us so much, he was willing to give his life for us. What do you think happened to those chicks? That's a good question, huh? Oh, Dan, you're really good today. What do you think happened to those chicks? How many of you have ever been home waiting on a loved one to come home and uh, there's a snow just is coming down and it's getting later and later and you're getting more worried or, or you know, you have the news on and you say traffic is snarl, there's been this many wrecks and this many accidents and you know, you're waiting and you're waiting anxiously. Or how many of you ever been in a funeral home how many have ever been in a funeral home and in through the door comes someone that you're so close to? It might be that old friend. It might be that church member. It might be a relative. But they come through the door and you make eye contact. Or have you ever traveled in a car to go to a reunion? A family reunion that you haven't been to for a number of years and you know family members that you want to see are going to be there. What's the first thing you do when you see that person when they come through the door from the snowstorm? Or when you see that person uh, at the funeral home? Or you see that person at a reunion? What's the first thing you do? How many of you hug them? Everybody, right? That's what we're going to do right now. We usually do this greeting earlier, but I want you to really think about Somebody here, when you look around today, it might be our visitors. We got visitors there. We got Barb back there from uh, Florida, who wasn't even supposed to be here today. She came back to see me. But anyway, uh, that's not really true. Like I, it sounds good, doesn't it? But I want you to uh, take just a moment, if you would, and greet somebody, and then we'll finish up the lesson. Greet somebody like you really mean it. <laughs> Back to your seat. I know how the song that's 
Let's all make our way back to the seats. Now you have to admit, didn't that feel good today? I could tell just by watching you. I just stood up here purposely and watched, and I, I know you felt good. I know you felt a connection with people today. I'm going to ask Ryan to read the uh, scripture again, if he would today, so you can listen to it. Ryan, would you read, please? For I was hungry, and he gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and he gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and he invited me in. I needed clothes, and he clothed me. I was sick, and he looked after me. I was in prison, and he came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or need clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Okay. Uh, we're not going to sing yet. Don't, don't, uh, just hold this. Don't, don't get excited. Um, turn, uh, if you would, just to the song. We're not going to sing it. We're going to look at the words of 197. Look at 197. This song just goes right along with what we're talking about here this morning. 197, please. And look at the third verse. And we're going, to, we're going to start there with the second, uh, second verse, or no, excuse me, the uh, third verse on the uh, second uh, part down. "'Twould be no more than love demands, no less could I repay. No greater love hath mortal man than for a friend to die. These are the words... He gently spoke to me. If just a cup of water I place within your hand, then just a cup of water is all that I demand. Jesus is telling us, you don't have to give your life a cup of water. Doesn't that sound simple? Doesn't that sound so so trivial compared to giving your life. But Jesus said, you know, go out and give somebody a cup of water. Do something for somebody, in other words. Just as Ryan read there with the, with the uh, scriptures that he read to us. You can't do everything, folks, but you can do something. Every one of us can do something. And if you're not doing something between the time you leave this building today and you come back next Sunday morning, then we've got problems. It's plain and simple. You've got to make a connection with people. You've got to show that you care for two reasons. First, because it's commanded of us. And secondly, because it'll give you a connection to both our Heavenly Father and the person you're making that gesture to.
at Tony's funeral, the minister made a comment during the sermon. Again, something that I'll always remember. Tony knew she was going to die. She had cancer for 14 years. Shannon and Scott were married in June of 1999. And in August of 1999, Tony was diagnosed with breast cancer. She fought a valiant fight. And that last past year, we knew we were going, we thought we were going to lose her two or three different times. But every time she, she was able to make it back. The minister and Tony had talked about her funeral. And in talking with her, Tony made this remark to the minister. Don't talk about me at my funeral. Talk about Jesus. That's deep, folks. That's really deep. It brought tears to my eyes then, just as it's doing now. We can tell people about Jesus in many different ways. We can do it like Marge does, by sending cards. And you know, another thing about Marge with her Parkinson's, it will take Marge 10 to 15 minutes to write one card. And she still sends out six to eight a day. We can do it by sending an email. I can even do emails. My, my beloved sister Donna over there, she sends me more emails than just about anybody, and I love them. Every time I see one from Donna Anthony, I get excited because she's going to tell me something that's going on in her life. Are they always good things? <laughs> no, I'm Donna. There's a lot of problems too. But I love getting those emails. Are you a baker? If you're not a baker, that's okay because you can buy bakeries and take somebody something. Our brother Paul Kearns took Carol when she was sick. One of these turnovers that she liked. It's a strudel. A strudel from a bakery and just dropped it off and made her day and made his day. Made both people's day. Brought a connection. Do a note. Send, a, send notes. It's amazing the people you can come in contact with. One of the people that I write letters to, and I don't write a lot of letters to people, but one of the persons that I write is Jessica Carpenter, Shirley's granddaughter. She's this age, and I'm this age. But she and I have a connection through our letters that nothing, nothing could break that connection. Each one of you has talents. God's given this congregation more talent than I can shake a stick at. Everybody here has something they can do. 
be it small, be it large, be it few, be it many. But find what that is and do it. You have the choice to make, folks. Make the right choices. We always see on TV, Dr. Phil will tell you you're making bad choices. He'll come right out and tell you. Well, Van's going to tell you some of you have been making bad choices. Now, I'm not going to point fingers because when I point one at you, you know how many go back to me. <laughs> so I don't do that. But we've got choices to make, and we need to start making those choices count for something. We're going to have an invitation song in just about a minute. And it's a song I chose especially. It is well with my soul. I love that song. That song to me is the next step to being in heaven. If, you, if it's well with you in your soul, then you know that you will one day be in heaven. If there's anything I can do as a lay speaker today, please come forward as we sing this song. But more importantly than that, take a look at your life. Do a self-examination and see what you've been doing for the cause of Christ. And if you've not been doing enough, then please make some good choices. Stand and sing. Mm -hmm.